The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2021 webinar series. This episode gets back to basics on extended producer responsibility and introduces the fundamentals to new members. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including Platinum Sponsor, the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, we hear from Jody Tomchison London with JTL Squared Consulting and the president of the RCA. Jody has worked on policy and planning in Ontario, Alberta, and New Zealand, and will share the basics of EPR to set the stage on where we go from here. My job here for you today is to provide you with an introduction to EPR in plain language. So this is hopefully going to be as jargon-free as I can make it. My hope is that by the end of this presentation, you'll be able to answer two questions. The first is how does a provincial recycling program differ from EPR? And the second is why does EPR as a solution matter? So the first, in order to, before we talk about the two models, the first thing we have to talk about is what are we trying to achieve and be really clear about that. And the first thing that we're trying to achieve is a circular economy. And this is the only buzzword I'm gonna use in this presentation. The idea of a circular economy is meant to shift how we think about the way in which we provide and manage goods and services in the marketplace, specifically by designing out waste and pollution, keeping products and materials in use for as long as possible, and regenerating natural systems. Now that might sound like a bunch of gobbledygook, but if we only look at it from a materials perspective, you can see the shift we're trying to make. So instead of the traditional, the current take make waste approach to a linear economy or the do the best we can with what we're given, residual is the norm and delayed disposal approach to a recycling economy, a circular economy encourages change that prevents materials from being able to leak into the environment. And so when we just, if you take like a, a high level view, Planning for recycling is about managing the problem. It's about doing our best to mop up all the water on the floor. But a circular economy is about solving the problem. It's about turning off the tap so there's no water to mop up. The second grounding, the second thing we have to remember is that we're actually trying to accomplish recycling. And that might seem pretty basic for everybody on this call, um, but in fact, it's not, which is surprising. Now, if you look at the definition of recycling, all the modern definitions are pretty consistent. And this one's from Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And the key with the definition of recycling is that it involves taking matter and putting it into a new good. That is when you know you've accomplished recycling. And there are four parts to a recycling system. There's the collection phase, the sorting phase, the processing phase, and then the manufacturing or making phase. And it's not until we have this manufacturing phase complete that we have in fact recycled. Yet surprisingly, most people don't understand this. Most people will think they're recycling simply when they put material at their curb. And most municipalities and recycling programs will celebrate the fact that they've recycled when in fact all they've done is sent material to a reprocessor. But again, recycling doesn't happen until that magical day when there's recycled content in a new good. And why does this matter? Uh, because until that magical day when, we're, when we've recycled content in a new good, all we've done is create an expensive pile of material that, that could be wasted anyway. So here's a good example. Um, if it, this is Fedra, uh, and they're 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 working to clean up myrtles all around all around the globe. And I'm sure everyone would agree that reprocessed material, reprocessed plastics that was made into myrtles that are then lost at sea is not recycling. So now let's compare the recycling model versus EPR. And in terms of the recycling model, I'm going to call it the Alberta model because that's what we have on the on the ground now. And so when we look at what we have now, um, you have to, there's two really important things. You have to look at the scope of influence in terms of what the program can affect. 
sorry, <laughs> the scope of influence and where the programs start. So Alberta's programs are designed to start planning at the point of disposal. And their job is to do the best they can with the waste that shows up in the waste stream. And so the program operator decides which materials it will, put, it will manage in the basket of goods in the waste stream that it's given and which materials it will emit. It collects fees from consumers and it, sorry, and it pays different parts of the recycling system to ensure that material is collected, sorted and processed to the best of their ability. And the loss of residuals along the way is the norm. In the recycling system model, the producer or the manufacturer has no obligation for system outcomes. Now think back to what we're trying to, trying to achieve in terms of circular economy and recycling. It becomes very clear that our current, our current recycling programs can't in fact ensure recycling or ensure a circular economy because in our systems, producers have no incentive to use recycled content, communicate with other system players, keep material values high throughout the entire circular economy chain, or rethink design for longevity, recyclability, repair, reuse, or dematerialization. And in fact, designed obsolescence benefits producers in our system because the costs and consequences of the products they put on the market are borne by the program operators, consumers, and taxpayers. And so if you look at this from just a visual point of view, the question that our programs are trying to answer is what portion of the waste stream that I'm given can I economically recycle? Now, when you compare that to recycling systems, it's a bit different. Um, the, the scope of influence is different and the producer's incentive is different. So EPR shifts, oops, EPR shifts decision-making to producers. Producers have the obligation and authority to coordinate and operate recycling systems that keep material materials in use. And EPR drives change in actually two ways. First, they have to, EPR systems require proof of recycling. And if producers can't prove recycling, they aren't in compliance with the, with, with the laws. Uh, and they can prove recycling by using recycled content. The second thing is that producers um, have the authority for creative and creative freedom to find ways to reduce costs and solve problems through system innovations, including redesign. So in EPR, producers have incentive to rethink design for recyclability, dematerialization. They have incentive to increase product lifespan, repair through repair and reuse. They have incentive to invest in new recycling system processes and technologies. And finally, they have incentive to use recycled content because at the end of the day, they have to prove recycling. And in EPR, producers have the incentive to do these things because the costs and consequences of the whole system are borne by them. So with EPR, there's a different question being asked. Producers ask, what do I need to change to make it possible and economical to recycle my whole product or package? Okay, so that may or may not have made sense. But let's look at what EPR looks like on the ground. And the first thing you really need to understand is that EPR is not a type of program. I hear this all the time. I hear EPR programs or NEPR. EPR is not a type of program. EPR is an obligation that enables disruptive systems thinking, period, the end. And it's really evident when you start looking at how these systems are, how extended proof responsibility is really playing out on the ground. So if you look at the Norway deposit return system, it's a really good example. There's no EPR regulation. And in fact, all the government has done there is regulate an outcome. And they put in place a really a strong incentive, strong consequence if producers don't achieve that outcome. And, as a con and, the, and, the, and the target actually is 95% collection of beverage container, of specific beverage containers. And the consequence is a really high tax rate if they don't meet that. And as a consequence of that, producers have, have thought, holy crap, what do I do? Uh, they put in a deposit return system with really high um, deposit rates, and they have one of the highest return rates in the, in the entire world. 
The plastics pack is another good example. There's no EPR regulation in place that has created a program. In fact, it's public pressure in this place and growing regulations around the globe that has encouraged producers to come together under the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and they've made commitments for increasing recycled content in their goods, for reuse, for remanufacturing, for rethinking, uh, rethinking systems entirely. Okay, so you're saying, great, what about Canada? Well, when you look at EPR on the ground in Canada, it's happening here with regulation and in the absence of regulation. So if you look at an example here, the Canadian Producer uh, Produce Marketing Association, they're actually encouraging all of their members to think about their packaging design. And they're providing advice in terms of how they make sure that at the end of the day, more of the packages they put on the market can in fact be recycled. So they're rethinking design for the environment. In terms of collection, we're seeing innovation there too. If you look at the BC Recycling Program, they're working to really hard to make sure that their collection systems maintain material value so that can maintain that value throughout the entire circle. So for instance, they've, they've asked that glass not be collected along with paper products in order to keep the value of the, of the paper high. And they're implementing uh, consequences if the contamination rates are too high. In terms of effective sorting, you're also seeing innovation there. Again, the BC is a good example. It was the first jurisdiction to implement TPR. But what you're seeing there in comparison to what's happening here in Alberta is that they, they have invested um, and, and amalgamated so that they have fewer MRFs that have better technology. And as a result, they can process material uh, more effectively. They're producing better quality material. And at the end of the day, it's costing their systems less. So BC system, when you look at the overall cost, um, it's covering, it's providing access to more British Columbians at a, at a cheaper cost than here in Alberta. In terms of innovations in processing, we're also seeing that happen. And a good example of that is what's happening in Ontario for the tire program. So in that province, unlike Alberta, they're having producers actually seeking uh, retreading off options so that tire, the, the life of the tire can be extended. And that's part of their EPR system planning. You're also seeing new innovations come to play there in Ontario in the, shoe, in the few short years that EPR has been, has been operating. And, and processors are now advertising their goal to achieve zero waste. Okay, so what does that mean in terms of uh, Alberta? Uh, and what's the role of government? Well, it's really quite simple. It's not to regulate a program. And, and as soon as someone says, I'm gonna regulate a program, I hope the little hairs on the back of your neck start setting up because again, EPR is not a program. The goal of government is to set the system framework by regulating and enforcing outcomes that drive EPR over just recycling. And so what we've done here at the Recycling Council of Alberta is we've created an EPR framework that we think provides some really basic advice for government on what they need to think about as they're developing their EPR framework. The first thing is it should drive a circular economy. Second, it needs to be outcome-based. It needs to provide producers with the creative freedom to redesign, to rethink, to re-engineer systems in a way that municipalities and even the provincial government and our, our, our delegated administrative organizations can't. They also have to set performance standards that are ambitious, measurable, and enforceable. So think of the Norway model. Producers are actively on the ground trying to get more containers back there just because the consequence is such that it's pushing them into more activity. They also have to ensure a level playing field. We can't disadvantage the Alberta producers over international producers. So making sure that um, there's a level playing field, which means they're enforcing their laws. And finally, they need to be implemented alongside complementary regulations. So we all know that EPR is not a panacea. 
you're not going to get all of the system changes that you want just because you implement a regulation and outcomes-based regulation. So implementing uh, requirements alongside the federal government for things like recycled content would obviously improve the outcomes that we're seeing under an EPR system. So that's the end of my presentation, Christina. Thank you for listening to this 2021 webinar series podcast. Search for On the Cusp, Alberta Circular Podcast on iTunes and the Google app for more from the RCA or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.